Father, we come before you today. We thank you. We would all strive, others, that we would strive to seek unity and harmony within the assembly and amongst the brotherhood. Father, we thank you for your upcoming feast days. We pray that they too will be a blessing for those who are here and those who will come from abroad. And we thank you and we give all this in the name of your son, Yahshua the Messiah. Hallelujah. Y'all may be seated. It is a, uh, a blessing to see everybody here today. And I'd like to um, also extend a uh, greetings to those online. We know that there's many watching and, and uh, participating in, in that way. So, again, I'd like to uh, welcome everybody here and also those online. Or In my last message, I focused on love and the uh, first fruit we find there in Galatians. Where today I want to continue with this theme the fruits of the Spirit, and focus on the next one, and that is joy. Now, we, uh, I want to look at the list first, Galatians 5, verse 22, just to review the list before we delve into the uh, joy. It says, Galatians 5, 22 through 23, it says, But the fruit of the Spirit of love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance, against such there is no law. Now, Paul lists here nine fruits, but, you know, I really consider these characteristics, characteristics of the Spirit. You know, as I mentioned in my last message, I believe that this passage here is one of the most important we find in all of Scripture. You know, throughout Yahshua's ministry, he put a lot of emphasis on what he called, eventually, the weightier matters. And I believe the characteristics we find here within this list are part of the weightier matters. You know, I also mentioned in my last message that we must exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees. You know, that's a big deal. Because that was a big part of Yahshua's ministry. You know, we see this in Matthew 5, verse 20. Yahshua was saying there that we must exceed their righteousness. So how do we do this? How do we exceed their righteousness? Or, you know, as I've mentioned before, we could never out-Pharisee a Pharisee. That's not humanly possible. It's important to realize that when it came to the law, the Pharisees crossed every T, they dotted every I, nobody was more stringent with the commandments than the Pharisees of old. So with this in mind, how do we exceed their righteousness? How do we do better than what they did? Because again, we know that they were without blemish when it came to the law, came to the Sabbath and other aspects of the law. Well, I believe we do this by live, living the weightier matters. We, we do this by applying what we find within this passage. Now, again, today I want to focus on the second attribute, and that is a joy, very important one. Now, the first observation I want to make is this. While joy may be simple to understand, it is not simple to do. So, again, while it's simple to understand, it is not simple to do. You know, this is one that I struggle with myself, but I'm not alone because, truthfully, I believe most of us struggle with this concept it's not just a happiness. You know, we're going to really delve deep and trying to understand what this is, what this includes, how we should feel, how we should maybe not feel. But it is a very simple concept, but again, hard to master. Now, before we delve into the word, I want to, I want to define this word, joy, from a few different sides and a few different references. First one is from the Hebrew and the Greek. Always important to go to the Hebrew and the Greek. So the Hebrew is simcha, 
and means joy, mirth, gladness. That's from the Brown Drive from Briggs. The uh, Greek is kara. It means cheerfulness, that is calm delight. So we see the meaning of these words. It's a happiness, it's an exuberance, it's a gladness. That's really what this word is conveying, cheerfulness, as we find from the Greek, calm delight. So here's two references. I really liked how these uh, sources defined these, this term. This is from pathos.com. It says, joy isn't like happiness, which is based upon happening, happenings or whether things are going well or not. So you see it's not based on circumstance. And that's one of the distinctions, I believe, between joy and, and happiness. Happiness often is defined by what is occurring within our lives, whether we're happy because of how life is, is going on, how, you know, what is happening at that moment. Joy doesn't work that way. It says, no, joy remains even amidst the suffering. So even if we're going through tribulation, we're going through trials, joy should remain. Joy is not happiness. Joy is an emotion that's acquired by the anticipation, acquisition, or even the expectation of something great or wonderful. It could be described as exhilaration, delight, sheer gladness, and can result from a great success or a very beautiful or wonderful experience like a wedding or graduation. But the definition of joy that the world holds is not nearly as amazing as biblical joy. So what I, what I want, to, want to focus on today is this concept of biblical joy. We're not talking about joy in the world. We certainly um, see joy in the world, happiness and gladness and that sort of thing. But now I'd like to, uh, again, dig a little bit deeper than that. So here's another source defining this word, perceptionaustin.org. And it's kind of an odd URL, but had a really good definition I, I felt for this word. It says, joy is a feeling of inner gladness, delight or rejoicing. Joy in the New Testament is virtually always used to signify a feeling of happiness that is based on spiritual realities. So notice that joy is something spiritual. It's not, it's not this emotional concept. It is something spiritual. I, I believe that's the case. And it says, and independent of what happens. So again, joy is not based upon what is happening in this in this world, what is happening in our lives, whether we're going through good times or bad times. No, joy goes beyond that. And it says joy is an inner gladness, a deep-seated pleasure. It is a depth of assurance and confidence that ignites a cheerful heart. It is a cheerful heart that leads to cheerful behavior. So we see here that the heart comes from, from the heart comes behavior, and this is a very um, a glad, a, a happy heart. But again, it's something not superficial. It is a cheerful heart that leads to cheerful behavior. Joy is not an experience that comes from favorable circumstances, but it's Yahweh's gift to believers. And again, that's another very important concept, as we'll see here in just a few moments. I believe that joy comes from the Holy Spirit. I believe that joy comes from our Father in Heaven. I don't believe that joy comes from, again, what we experience and what we go through in this life. So I, I am very much in favor of what it says here. That it's not based on favorable circumstances, whether life is going great or good. But it's based on Yahweh's gift. Yahweh's gift through his spirit. So says, joy is a deep down sense of well-being that abides in the hearts of the person who knows all is well between himself and Yahweh. So as we see here, joy is a, a deep sense of happiness, of, of gladness, of contentment. We find, I believe, in our relationship with the one we worship. And it's a feeling not conditional. 
on whether life is going good or bad, on whether things are going great or whether things are going horrible. So to begin with, where does this attribute originate from? Where do we receive this concept? Well, Romans 15, verse 13, Paul provides key. Paul says there in Romans 15, 13, he says, Now the Elohim of hope fill you with all joy and peace. You know, it's another thing we often see in Scripture. I'm not going to say much more than this, but we often find joy and peace together. And I do think that there's a correlation between the two. And matter of fact, the next message I'm going to be giving is on peace. That's the next one on, on the list. It says, Joy and peace and believing that you may abound in hope through the power. Listen, it says, through the power of what? Through the power of experience? Through the power of life is going good? No, it says through the power of the Holy Spirit. So Paul's writing to the assembly in Rome, and he provides insight as to where we receive joy, and biblical joy, not this superficial stuff. He explains here that Yahweh, through the power of his Holy Spirit, fills us with this attribute. And I believe that's where it comes from. And you know, what's great about that is if we don't have joy, we can pray about it, right? Yahweh can pour that upon us, I believe. And again, keep in mind the meaning of the word. You know, it's a form of happiness. It's a form of gladness. Not based on a circumstance, but based on our faith and hope in our Father in heaven. In other words, as a believer, joy should be something we feel no matter what we're going through in life. No matter how life can be. And, you know, some of us, we have some stories. You know, some of us, we've really suffered or we're, we're, we're suffering today. But, you know, I've also met people who suffer and they have joy. And that's a great thing to see. So no matter what trials we may be experiencing, we should always have joy in the one we worship. And that's one of the, again, concepts we find all throughout Scripture. You know, the best example of the promise that we find that, that should bring us a sense of uh, happiness is the promise of everlasting life within Yahweh's kingdom. You know, if you think about it, not only will we live forever, but it's going to be a time of peace and happiness like nothing else. You know, nothing in this life, nothing we've ever experienced, nothing we will ever experience in this life will compare to what we'll receive during this time. It is going to be a time of happiness beyond anything else. You know, for this reason, to really experience joy, we must also, I believe, believe and have faith in Yahweh's promises. Believe that he exists, believe that he can do what he can do. You know, it's not possible to have this sense of gratification without a deep faith and devotion in the one we worship. It's not something we can just wish. It's something that we, I believe, receive, again, through the Holy Spirit, based on the devotion, based on our, our depth, our dedication to the one we worship. You know, in fact, Paul in Romans 12, starting in verse 10, connects rejoicing with the concept of hope. Romans 12, 10 through 12, it says, Be kindly affectionate one to another with brotherly love, and honor preferring one another, not, not slothful in business, fervent in spirit, serving the master, rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing instant in prayer. So before focusing on this concept of rejoicing, I want to spend a, some time looking at the other items we find here. He begins, Paul here in Romans begins, by talking about brotherly love and how we should prefer one another. You know, I've often, I've, I've done, done this quite a bit over the years. So I've talked a lot about how we're a family in the sign. I believe that. 
I believe that, and I try to do things that foster a sense of family within this assembly, because we should. We should all view everybody in this room as part of a collective family. You know, for this reason, it's important that we understand these concepts. You know, I wish we would all be more cognizant of what it means to be a family messiah. So what does it mean? Let's, let's just explore this for just for a moment. What does it mean to be a family in Messiah? It means that we should show concern, right? It means that we should show support. It means that we should show forgiveness, that we should show compassion, that we should show kindness and show respect to everybody within this assembly with no exceptions. To go even further, it means that we should be willing to sacrifice our own well-being for those in this assembly. That if you know, we can help somebody in some way, even if it causes us pain or inconvenience, we should do so. Paul goes on here to say that we should not be slothful in business, but fervent, serving the master. Now, what does this mean? Or the NIV renders this this way. It says, never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the master. You know, as believers, it's easy at times to lose our zeal, isn't it? To lose our passion for the faith, to lose that devotion. Life can be hard and challenging. And you know, it seems that this is especially true for believers. Because of this, Paul says that we should rejoice in hope, we should be patient, and we should continue in prayer. You know, prayer is so important. Again, I believe if we suffer with a lack of joy, if we suffer with any of these attributes we find within Galatians, that list, that we should pray about it. You know, remember, remember that joy is not uh, determined by what is happening in our lives. I cannot emphasize that enough. Whether life is going good or bad, we should always have a sense of inner happiness based on our relationship with the one we worship. And that's hard to do. That's really, really hard to do because most of us, many of us, life has a way of removing that joy of removing that happiness. But it doesn't, again, matter, should not matter what we're doing, should not matter how life is going, should not matter whether life is going good or whether life is going great or whether life is going horrible. Because joy, again, is not happiness. Happiness is defined what is occurring in our lives at any time. Joy, on the other hand, again, is this deep-seated sense of happiness, this deep-seated sense of gratification, this deep-seated sense of gladness through the relationship we have with one we worship. Now, from Psalms 97:11, we find a connection between joy and righteousness or uprightness in the heart. It says that light is sown for the righteous, and it says gladness for the upright in heart. So what does it mean to be upright in heart? Or in Hebrew, the word upright comes from Yashar refers to equity or being just. So in other words, it means doing what is right according to Yahweh's word. That is what a brightness in heart means. Now, why is joy dependent or based on being upright in heart or doing what is right according to Yahweh's word? Or since it comes from Yahweh through the Holy Spirit, we must live a life that is honoring, that is pleasing to him. You know, it reminds me of what the word says about the Holy Spirit. Is it possible to quench the Holy Spirit? Absolutely. That's what scripture says. 
Scripture says that we can quench the Holy Spirit. How do you suppose we can quench the Holy Spirit? Or we can quench the Holy Spirit by, by moving away from Yahweh's word, by relenting on the devotion and dedication we have as believers, by doing it our way and less his way. That is how we quench the Holy Spirit, by not following Yahweh's word. The same thing is true with joy. If we're not living a life of righteousness, Yahweh's not going to bless us with, with this um, inward sense, again, of happiness. So for us to achieve this and maintain this, we must live according to his ways. Now, we see the same lesson. I want to look at one more verse with this. Proverbs 10, verse 28. It says, There the hope of the righteous shall be gladness or joy, but the expectation of the wicked is shall perish. So the word righteous here comes from the Hebrew zadik. What does zadik mean? Most of us, many of us, we probably, or we may be familiar with this word. Or zadik refers to a person who is law, lawful or, or, or just. So again, we see here a connection between living a life of righteousness and receiving Yahweh's joy, gladness. Now, think back to a time, and we've all done this. Think back to a time when we, you, did something wrong, and you knew it. So you did something wrong, and you knew it when you did it. Think back to that moment. Think back about how you feel, filled. You know, when we deviate from Yahweh's word, our happiness is negatively affected. It really is. And that's why there's a connection between, between this, this spiritual sense of joy and living according to Yahweh's word. We should feel guilty and ashamed when we do something wrong. You know, some of these people today, they, they say, um, you know, we, we should never be ashamed of ourselves. We should, we should always have this self-confidence and so on and so forth. No, as believers, when we do something wrong knowingly, or even unknowingly, we should be ashamed. We should be hurt, and we should want to do better. When we commit sin, that sin not only impacts our relationship with Yahweh, but also the joy we have through him. And I know, again, that's a very simple concept. But believe me when I say this, this, that's a true statement. If we have joy within our lives, within our hearts, through the Holy Spirit, and we pull away from Yahweh's word, that joy that we have will also diminish. Now, in Proverbs 17, verse 22, we find another benefit of joy. It says, Air cheer for heart, or joy, is good medicine, but a crushed spirit dries up the bones. You know, it's a medical fact that our demeanor affects our health. Would you agree with that? Our demeanor affects our health. You know, if we're a positive person, it's going to affect our health in a positive way. If we're a negative person, it's also going to affect our health in a negative way. If we're happier, we're going to feel better. We're going to be healthier. You know, here are two studies. I normally don't do this, but I, I think it has relevance to, to what we're focusing on today. Two studies from Harvard, both showing that when we, when we have better attitudes, this leads to better health. So the first one is the happiness health condition from Harvard Medical School. It says, want to feel better and improve your health? Start by focusing on the things that bring you happiness. Scientific evidence suggests that positive emotions can help make life longer and healthier. And I believe that. Of course, this is another study. It says, but negative emotions 
or only one half of the equation. This is a pretty long article. I just took a snippet. It says uh, Laura Kubzanski, uh, HSPH, Associate Professor of Society, Human Development and Health. It looks like there is a benefit of positive mental health that goes beyond the fact that you're not depressed. What that is is still a mystery. But when we understand the set of processes involved, we will have much more insight into how health works. Kubzanski is at the forefront of such worship. In a 2007 study that followed more than 6,000 men and women aged 25 to 74 for 20 years, for example, she found that emotional vitality, a sense of enthusiasm, of hopefulness, of engagement in life, and the ability to face life stresses with emotional balance appears to reduce the risk of coronary heart disease. The protective effect was distinct and measurable. Even when taking into account such wholesome behaviors as not smoking and regular exercise. So through these studies, we find, again, positive emotions is healthier. It helps to improve our health. We find a correlation between happiness and health. You know, it never ceases to amaze me how often science supports the Bible. You know, in this case, we find that they both agree when we have a positive attitude, we will have a healthier life. You know, the only thing I would add to this study, because, you know, they're looking at it from a psychological standpoint and probably more from a superficial standpoint. The only thing I would add to the study is that the happiness or joy we have through the Holy Spirit is so much greater and more beneficial than the happiness we find in the temporary things of this life. Now, saying that, there's nothing wrong with worldly happiness, you know, whether it's doing something with a family, maybe hanging out with your buddies to watch a game. As long as these things are done in moderation, they're healthy. But again, we should never lose sight on the joy that comes from Yahweh's word. And that's really, again, what I want to convey today. It's not the joy that we, that we uh, achieve through earthly pleasures. No, it's a joy that we achieve and we find through the relationship we have with Yahweh because, again, it's so much greater, so much deeper. You know, there are two examples in Scripture that really stand out for me when thinking about joy, thinking about two people who really exudes or exuded joy. The first one is from King David. King David. I picked out an example here in 2 Samuel 6, 12 through 15. It reads, and it was told King David, saying, Yahweh hath blessed the house of Obed-Edom and all that pertaineth unto him because of the ark of Elohim. So David went and brought up the ark of Elohim from the house of Obed-Edom into the city of David with gladness. And it was so that when they bore the ark of Yahweh, had gone six paces or about 15 feet, he sacrificed oxen and fatlings, and David danced before Yahweh with all his might. Notice that, what it says. He danced with all his might. You know, this is not just a simple dance or half-hearted. I mean, he was really involved in this dance. And David was girded with a linen ephod. So David and all the house of Israel brought the ark of Yahweh with shouting and with the sound of a trumpet. Now, before we um, look at David's actions here, I want to give you some background with the ark of the covenant. Before David brought it to Jerusalem, it was in the home of the man we find listed within this passage for about 20 years Matter of fact, we don't hear about the ark since uh, 1 Samuel 7, verse 1, during the reign of Saul. 
But we find here that David was determined to bring the ark back to Jerusalem, the city that he conquered. Now, why do you suppose he was determined to do this? What was, what was the reasoning for this? Or the ark was the most reverent and holy object within Yahweh's worship. If anything defined worship, it was the Ark of the Covenant. And that's why it's sought after today, because nothing is more sacred than this, than this box that Israel built. Also, I believe it was David's attempt and desire to restore pure worship back to the nation of Israel, back to Jerusalem. And so doing, he also recognized Israel's, uh, Jerusalem as Israel's new capital. Now, from a historical standpoint, realize that this was significant. This was a really, really big deal, you know, for the Israelites to bring the Ark of the Covenant to Jerusalem, to the city of David. Now, the main thing I want to focus on here is David's reverence and joy. It says here that after they had gone six paces, and six paces about 15 feet, they sacrificed to Yahweh oxen and fatlings. Now, there is some debate as to whether they sacrificed the first, first six spaces or whether they did this throughout the entire journey. So we really don't know. There's some debate there. Either way, this shows a, a, uh, a desire from David to worship, to show reverence as he was taking the ark to Jerusalem. Now, also, it also shows here that David danced before Yahweh. Matter of fact, he did this in a linen ephod. And with this, we see that there was singing, there was shouting, there was uh, trumpets being blown. You know, I believe that we see here an example of a man who, and I don't know if I've ever used this expression in reference to a relationship with Yahweh, but I believe that David was in love with Yahweh. I really do. I believe that he was in love with Yahweh. You know, there's, there's a lot of examples of, of people being devoted, people being dedicated, people wanting to serve, people being passionate. But David's depth of commitment, David's depth of love, I think, was beyond most, if not everybody. He was in love with Yahweh. And we see that, I believe, here. You know, in this story we find that David's wife rebuked him for being indecent. I'm not going to read that account. He just, just had that linen ephod. I, I'm not sure what it exactly covered, but I'm sure it was somewhat decent. But, you know, it, it was uh, just certainly uh, wasn't something you would do all the time or generally go out in public with. But, you know, for David, nothing else mattered. He had such a love and joy seeing the ark come to Jerusalem that nothing mattered Everything else was secondary. You know, he had such a joy and exuberance as the ark was coming to, to uh, Jerusalem. You know, out of all the examples, as I've said, I believe that David exuded joy, this exuberance, this happiness, this gladness that he had in his Father in heaven. You know, as believers, I, I believe that we should all look to David. Look to David as an example Understand the depth, the relationship he had, the joy that he had, and try to replicate that within our own lives. Now, the other example that stands out for me is the Apostle Paul. It's a little bit different, but certainly I think that this man had a joy beyond measure as well. You know, no matter what this man went through, no matter what 
persecution he was suffering. We find that he always had joy, even in prison. You know, we see an example of that. He's in prison, Acts 16. Acts 16, verse 22 through 25, it says, And the multitude rose up together against them, and the magistrates ran off their clothes and commanded to beat them. So they're beat. They're whipped. It says, And when they laid, had laid many stripes upon them, they cast them into prison, charging the jailer to keep them safely, who, having received such a charge, thrust them into the inner prison and made their feet fast in the stocks, and at midnight, Paul and Silas prayed and sang songs or praises unto Elohim, and the prisoners heard them. Now, before we talk about Paul's imprisonment, I want to just give you a little bit of background to what we find here. You know, as we see in this passage, there was a young lady, and this young lady practiced divination. And this young lady, for whatever reason, she took it upon herself to follow Paul for a few days. And at this time, she continues to cry out. She says, these men are servants of the Most High El, which show us the way of salvation. Now, again, after several days of this, Scripture says that Paul was grieved in his heart, and he removed the evil spirit from this young lady. Now, when this happened, those who benefited from this lady's divination complained about what Paul did and Silas and got both thrown into prison. Now, what I want you to focus on, though, is how Paul and Silas responded while in prison. Were they upset? Do we find them depressed? No, we don't find them upset. We don't find them depressed. I mean, think about it. They were just beaten with multiple stripes. And now they're thrown in prison for doing no wrong. And yet we find here that they prayed and, and, and sang praises to Yahweh. You know, for me, this shows the inner joy and peace that Paul had for their Father in heaven. Again, just try to contemplate you in that situation. How would you respond? You know, we, we've responded much worse and much less in much less harsher circumstances, haven't we? Things going on in life, disappointments. How often have we sung in those moments or prayed and praised Yahweh in those moments? If we were whipped and thrown in prison, would we be praying and singing praises to Yahweh? Probably not. But these men did this. They, they prayed, they sang praises to Yahweh. No matter what the persecution, nobody was going to remove that joy they had within. And that's, again, the joy that I'm trying to convey today, the joy within. You know, this is the difference between worldly happiness and happiness through Yahweh. Worldly happiness is, is temporary. It will pass away. And, you know, if we've known anybody of any age that's passed away, and I've seen some examples of this throughout my life. People that were successful at one point, and as I get old, they lose what they have. It's just a natural progression. You lose what you have, and you have nothing. Everything passes away. Everything in this life passes away. But the happiness we find through Yahweh is continuous. And again, it should not be dependent upon circumstance. It should not be dependent upon whether we're having a good day or a bad day. You know, it's, again, a sense of a deep sense of gladness, gratification we find through that relationship. I want to ask a real simple question, and that is, as believers, can we faithfully obey the commandments and not have a sense of joy? Well, let me even ask this. Is it possible to obey the commandments, as we should, and not have a relationship with the one we worship? Oh, I believe it's absolutely possible. You know, the scribes and Pharisees are living examples of this. 
Nobody, again, could out-Pharisee a Pharisee. I mean, these people understood how to obey the commandments, and they obeyed every iota. But again, it wasn't enough. It wasn't enough then, it's not enough now. You know, as Joshua said in Matthew 23, we must also apply the weightier matters. And, you know, I look at the fruits, the characteristics of the Spirit, and I believe that each one of those are the weightier matters. You know, as we've talked about, the weightier matters includes the nine fruits we find there in Galatians. If we fail to do this, I fear that we might receive the same result from Yahshua as he gave to the scribes and Pharisees. That's how important this message is. That's how important it is that we learn how to apply the fruits of the Spirit. You know, in some ways, I see the um, laws as maybe high school. You know, we learn the do's and don'ts. We learn what we should do and what we should not do. But graduate school is now taking the, that law and, and applying the fruits, applying the, the inward man, how we should be living, what we should be thinking. is so much more than just going through a routine. And I've seen people like that. It's just a routine, and it becomes mundane. But I believe Yahweh wants more than that. I believe Yahweh wants us to have a change in, in, in heart, a change in who we are. And again, that's where it goes back to these, these fruits, these weightier matters. Now, when speaking about joy and promises, uh, I've already mentioned this, but I want to look at a few examples. There's nothing greater than the promise of the resurrection. Can you think of a single thing, a single promise that is greater than the resurrection, than Yahshua's return, than the kingdom? I can't think of anything. So I want to read 1 Peter 1, 7 through 9. It says that the trial of your faith being much more precious than of gold that perishes. You see, Paul understood that. Paul understood that gold perishes. You know, we may have it in this life, but someday it's going to be gone. It says, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Yahshua Messiah, whom having not seen, you love, and whom, though now you see him not yet believing, you rejoice with joy unspeakable. So that's how Peter defines it. Joy unspeakable and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, even the salvation of your souls. So Peter, Peter here provides a picture. He paints a picture of the resurrection and Yahshua's coming. You know, as I said near the beginning of this message, nothing should bring us more joy, should bring us more enthusiasm than the promise of the resurrection. Peter describes it as unspeakable joy. Now, what do you suppose he meant by this? What I believe he's saying is this. There are no words. There's nothing I can say. There's nothing you can say to describe the joy, the exuberance that we'll experience when we witness the return of our Savior. Now, for a moment, though, let's just try to imagine. I've done this before, but we're going to try it again. So close your eyes. I want everybody to close their eyes. And I want you to try to visualize this scene. War and chaos is all around you. But in the middle of the chaos, you look up into the sky, and as you do, you see the clouds part, followed by Yahshua with thousands of angels, thousands, tens of thousands of angels with him. After this, you see the dead rising from the graves, changing into spirit beings. You then see those yet alive, as they're standing 
they change from flesh to spirit in a twinkling of an eye. After this, you see the elect of Yahweh rise to meet Yahshua in the clouds, where we will reunite and then descend with him back to this earth and will always be with him. Can you envision this happening? Can you see this happening? Can you, can you, can you feel the overwhelming exuberance? And I, can, <laughs> I, I don't believe we can ever fully contemplate this moment. I really don't. Because I think once we, if we find ourselves in this situation, blessed to be found worthy, blessed to experience this moment, I think it's going to be beyond anything we could ever imagine. But can we even envision it just a little bit? Realize the exuberance, the gladness, the joy that we're going to feel when we see our Savior coming back to this earth. We're going to see war and chaos all around us. Three and a half years of war and chaos. Death all around us. But when Yahshua comes, we know that all of that will be a thing of the past. This is the moment that we'll see Yahshua return to gather his people. And this is what Peter defines as unspeakable joy. It is the greatest promise we find within the word. You know, as believers, we need to package this moment, try to place it within our hearts and minds, remember it. You know, I wish in many ways that I could express this better. I wish in many ways that I could say something that would spark joy within all of us. But I also realize that this is a personal walk. I realize that we can attain this only if we ourselves are willing to pursue it, to understand it, to take it in. You know, Yahshua provides a similar picture. I want to close this as the last passage for the service. Luke 21, 21 verses 28 one of my favorite scriptures and it says when these things begin to come to pass and then look up lift up your heads for your redemption draws nigh now luke 21 is known as the Olivet prophecy is a series of prophecies along with uh, matthew 24 and mark 13 you know within it yashua pro- provides many prophecies that will occur that will happen before and at his coming now this verse we find here is again one of my favorite It says that when we look up, when we look up, that we're going to see Yahshua coming down and we're going to know that our redemption is near. Again, this is a reference to his return. You know, as we see in the Olivet Prophecy, the three and a half years before Yahshua's coming is known as the Great Tribulation. Yahshua said that, that we would, that this would be the worst time this world has ever seen and will ever see. It will be worse than the atrocities committed under the Nazi regime when six million Jews were exterminated. But when all is said and done, we find here that our great hope in this passage, and that is the second coming of our Savior. And again, if anything should bring us joy, this sense of inward exuberance, this gladness, this this elation, it should be this. It says here that when we see him again that our redemption is near. The word redemption in the Greek refers to forgiveness, refers to acceptance that we will achieve through Messiah. 
You know, can you imagine, even begin to imagine, the profound joy that we'll feel when we see the return of our Savior, knowing that we've been found worthy, knowing that we will enter into eternal life, knowing that we will be with Yahshua forever. You know, I wish, again, there were words to fully convey the joy, the happiness, the elation that we'll feel at this moment. But I know whatever I say will fall miserably short to the promise that we find here within Yahweh's word. Nonetheless, the promise we find here should drive us, should motivate us to really seek after this happiness within. I want to close now by leaving you 14 uh, tips. I was doing some research online, seeing if I could find a list that would help us achieve this, maintain this. So here's uh, some tips on how to maintain and receive joy. So number one is living a life of righteousness. We, we've already talked about this, living a life of righteousness. We, we, we understand that there's a connection between living for Yahweh and, and receiving joy. Another one is avoiding pride. You know, over the years I've talked a lot about pride and how um, harmful pride is. Another one is being patient. See examples of these, uh, Romans 12, verse 2, for instance. Being honest. Why do you suppose honesty is important if we're going to receive joy? Can we be joyful if we're lying, deceiving? No, we need to be honest. We need to be open. Be compassionate. Be kind. You know, if we show compassion, they say some of the best ways to be happy is to help others. And I believe that's true. Some of the best ways to receive happiness, to be joyful, is is by helping others. And that includes by being compassionate, as we see in 1 Peter 3, verse 8. Another is having integrity. You know, doing the right thing, not because we have to, not because somebody's forcing us to, but because this is what we want to do. We want to do the right thing. We want to live for Yahweh's word. We want to take the steps, whatever, however hard it is, to take that road less traveled. Another one is to accept trials and persevere in temptation, uh, temptations. You know, sometimes bad things happen. Now, I've had many people over the years, I'll say, you know, why did Yahweh allow this? Why did Yahweh allow that? And, you know, in many circumstances, I don't have the answer most. I don't know why Yahweh does what he does. I don't know why he allows a, a good person over here to suffer in such a horrific way. But he does in some cases. So sometimes we need to simply accept trials Because, again, joy is not dependent upon circumstance. It's not dependent upon condition. It's not dependent upon whether life is going good or bad. Joy is dependent upon the the sense of joy we have within our hearts through the Holy Spirit. Another one is to have faith, to believe in Yahweh, to have that devotion. Another way to receive joy is to have empathy. Again, this is a kind of compassion, kindness. You know, this is a real hard one, but I do believe this is true. One way to, to achieve joy is to accept suffering. You know, whether that is some sort of physical suffering, mental suffering, whatever it is. I know some in this congregation are suffering physically, mentally. Whereas Yahweh's people, we need, we, need to, we need to accept this suffering. Because, you know, one thing we always need to keep in mind and realize is that 
if we're suffering today, that is not forever. Someday that suffering will, will go away at the resurrection. Another way is to enjoy every moment of life. You know, sometimes, especially life here in, the, in this country is so busy. You know, we get so caught up in everything we're doing, work and sports and kids and, you know, whatever else it is. So busy with life. You know, I think one way to receive joy is to, is to take a step back and enjoy every moment. You know, sometimes I'll try to remind myself when I'm outside maybe with my daughters. And uh, Bella likes to come out with me. I have a chair on the deck in the back, and she'll come and sit by me. And, and I, I try to sort of treasure those moments because I know that those moments will not be here forever. Someday she's going to be grown, and, and it's going to be different. So I think it's important to treasure each moment, to really enjoy life. Another way is to trust in Yahweh's providence, to realize that he's in control, and that's a big one. Again, we we get so concerned sometimes about life. Many of these times it's some trivial thing. It doesn't even matter. You know, have trust in Yahweh. Promote peace, and the last one here is to seek Yahweh's comfort. So I think these these are good ways to maintain, to achieve this inward sense of happiness, this gladness we find through Yahweh's word. Where today, we're blessed not only to uh, hear the word and hopefully um, take away some very valuable principles.